I'm David Moskrop. Welcome to Open to Debate. Everybody loves a trilogy. In March 2020, I connected with guest and friend Amanda Watson, and we dug into how folks were managing their lives during the early days of the pandemic. In the spring of 2021, we checked back in to talk about managing anxiety and what we billed at the time, optimistically, as the late pandemic. Now, just under two years into this whole thing, we connect once more to ask, are we coming undone during the pandemic? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is, as mentioned, Amanda Watson, friend, feminist theorist, lecturer at Simon Fraser University, and author of The Juggling Mother, Coming Undone in the Age of Anxiety. As a special note, after this episode, the show will be on break until January 18, 2022. We'll return in the new year to tackle a handful of pressing issues, including nuclear energy, disability rights, big data and the state, and more. All right, let's start with a quick review. We checked in for the first time in March of 2020 for what I called a quote-unquote special episode on managing life during COVID-19. We checked in again in May of 2021 to talk about what we optimistically called late pandemic quote-unquote anxiety. And now six months after that, we're completing the trilogy, which doesn't preclude it being a quadrilogy, but this just completes the trilogy. Let me come back around to where we started. How are you doing? You know, I can only answer this question in relative terms now. <laughs> oh my God. I, <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> this could be a long episode. I was just listening to our most recent interview from the spring, the way I had done in the spring. I, you know, I listened to the first one when I was preparing for Oh, yeah, second. same. And um, it's different from then. So that's that's definitely like striking. I would say I feel kind of jittery, but the languishing that I was describing in the spring, like coming off the heels of having totally missed the holiday season a year ago, and then just like cruising into the spring with this like burnout in the rearview mirror, you know, like this kind of just utter lack of well-being feelings. I, um, I don't, I'm not there anymore. Feel a little jittery, feel a little uncertain, a little like, um, yeah. I feel like over caffeinated and I'm like, not, not sure what, what we should all be doing, but I think that's, that's an improvement, um, on the, on the, the past, um, few seasons of the pandemic for me. Yeah. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> all I, right. I see how this is going to go. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so this is our last episode before we break for the holidays and we're recording it extraordinarily the evening before we release it usually we have a little bit more time for reasons this time we didn't <laughs> and i uh, i'm sitting here with some eggnog and a coffee and some orange chocolate and a very christmasy space uh, which i you know have been in for some time and it's it's very nice in its own way um, but i'm feeling that that the fa the pandemic fatigue and the rush of the season and then today, we don't usually get this personal on, on episodes, so it's nice to mix it up from time to time. <laughs> Whenever you're on, we get a little more personal, and it's nice to break it up. Uh, I woke up to my dentist saying, 
office saying, uh, we have had a cancellation. Do you want the appointment? Can you be here in 15 minutes? <laughs> and uh, because I live 80 meters from my dentist, I said yes and could be. And then I proceeded from my dentist's uh, to uh, my flu shot. And oh, so that's day. been today. It's been one of those sort of maintenance days alongside some other things. And so that's where I am right now. I'm feeling the, the weight of all of the things at once. Mm. Uh, last year I didn't get a flu shot because I didn't go outside. Like I didn't, I genuinely did not see a person, uh, another person face to face last in last winter, right? I was inside the whole time. And so I didn't get a flu shot because it was unsafe for me to go get it. It was that mm -hmm. bad. And so this was my first time going, getting back to have a flu shot. And I felt like, like a bit of a win, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like this implies, it feels so This implies good. you're going to see people, which yes. is nice. But then, of course, uh, it's, it's, it's Ottawa, and it's uh, very snowy and very rainy right now. And, and so you feel the weight of that. So, and, and you know, this is, this is our, our second winter into the pandemic. We're nearly two years into this. We're all going to be living through a winter of the Omicron winter. And, I, I, you know, I think, I think you feel that. And so I want to use that as a jumping off point to this next question. You know, the pandemic is dragging on. We're approaching year two. And now Omicron has a lot of people worried. And I, I, I'm curious, you know, one of the reasons I like talking to you is because obviously you're a friend, but you're also a sociologist, <laughs> a researcher, mm -hmm. and a feminist, and a mother. And uh, so you bring a lot of different intersecting identities and experiences that I find really interesting. And, and, and so this is dragging on all of us. And I'm curious how long you think we can manage the uncertainty and the back and forth between hope and despair, not just as individuals, but as a society that's trying to cope. Oh, that's so, I thought you could have gone in any number of directions after that intro. I wasn't sure we were landing on uncertainty. Uh, I just want to go back to what you said about the dentist. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> It was for, oh, it was for a like... routine cleaning, by the way. I will say this to people if you're listening. <laughs> I will say this as a little public service announcement. I think a lot of people put off a lot of routine care during the pandemic, and rightfully so. I, I totally get that. Oral health is extremely important, folks. Get to the dentist. Don't it put it so off. It is so true. I will totally jump on that PSA. And it is Even though it's really expensive and not in this coverage. Super yeah, expensive, this is, yeah. Yes, this exactly. Is Universal dental coverage now. Well, I feel like we've been, we've done a duty here. Um, so re-dentist, there's a feminist theorist of public feelings, Anne Chekovich, I think she's in Ottawa, um, who wrote in her kind of depression memoirs um, about like the lethargy involved in like not being able to make a health appointment, like, you know, and, and the like good feelings, I, I can't like the, the you know, the, the good feelings that you get from from actually attending, like making a health appointment, going to a health appointment, like having um, hygiene done on one's teeth. Of course, of course, this is like inaccessible, but um, mm -hmm. they're like going through um, that is like, it brings a lot of feelings of wellness. I love the feeling of marching out with clean teeth. My gums a little bit 100%. bloody. Like the more like bitter the taste in my mouth, the better I feel. Yeah. You want to walk out there feeling like you got a, like a mouthful of pennies. <laughs> exactly. Just that coppery. Uh, <laughs> But there's a class element to it too. You know, it's fascinating because I grew up, you know, as I've, I've talked about this before, we grew up fairly poor and, you know, uh, dental had been delisted. And so it was expensive. My, my family didn't have dental coverage uh, for many, many years. So we, it was tough for us to get to the dentist in a lot of cases and to get the work done that we needed in some cases and so on and so forth. And anyway, so I had a lot of cavities growing up. And then finally, you know, I went out on my own, went to school and it became a regular part of my life. But I have not had, I've had 
excellent teeth now for so many appointments. Every time I go in there, I feel a bit like, like I'm a grown-ass adult man with a PhD and a column and a podcast. But when the dentist says to me, no cavities, your teeth look great. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. no, no, like, like your teeth look great. You're taking great care of your teeth. No cavities, all looks good. I want. I just sort of want to like fist pump and, and I mm. feel like... Uh, like I'm, I'm owed a, like a candy or something and a pat on the head for doing the thing that like adults are supposed to do, you know? Yeah, <laughs> because, I totally because I'm on this. a hell of a dental streak. <laughs> I totally know this. During the yes. pandemic, it was one of the few things I actually did do. I was I was high risk. I was stuck inside. I wasn't going outside for anything. The dentist was the was the exception. I, I still kept going to the dentist for checkups and cleanings because I was like, this is such an important thing. That's impressive. I feel like a lot of people let their dental care get go but I did the same thing I was like you know it's easy to book an appointment now because it's a little bit um less busy at the dentist so the the other side of like how good it feels to be complimented by the dentist for some reason these like god adjacent figures in our lives I, like if the dentist like gives me a look of like e or like makes a face or something I feel the deepest shame mm -hmm. it's they're incredibly powerful um okay so fast forward to your question I do think we could talk a lot about the dentist. That's not like I want to. That'll be the fourth episode. Okay. That'll be, <laughs> That'll be Chris, the kingdom of the crystal skull or whatever it is. <laughs> Uncertainty. How long can we do this? So I feel like when school reopened, I've been in BC. So um, schools have been open with the exception of, you know, multiple closures for exposure events and things like that. Or like if your kid is symptomatic. So childcare has been um, inconsistent, but but like not anything like Ontario because the government prioritized keeping childcare open um, for most of the pandemic. Um, but my son started kindergarten this year. And so for the first time we were attached to the public school system and another child um, is, is she's three. So she's in, in full-time daycare. And when that happened, I just realized that like, I got to let it go. I can't, I can't care about exposure events. I just got to follow the directions. Like for me, the way to move forward. I was managing my own anxiety at work, suddenly being a lecturer again in classrooms full of students who we were being told might be hesitant to be mask compliant and who might be among um, the most unvaccinated population. And so I like I feel like just to kind of do what needed to be done as a worker and as a caregiver and a partner, I couldn't care too much about headlines. I just thought, my sense of risk is so um, unreliable at this point that I'm going to follow the rules and and go with the flow. And it's funny, like, so then this Omicron thing um, is kind of bubbled up in the last week. And I thought, oh, <laughs> all fall, I've been just sort of trying not to pay too much attention and just sort of listening and assessing risk whenever necessary. Um, and, and now I'm not sure how to feel about this, but it's starting to creep in. Like I'm seeing like people in my life are canceling their travel plans. You know, mm -hmm. like people are, are, are like reading the headlines here and like, and making, um, making choices. But like, I looked at the headlines from Friday, I think it was Friday. Like it, it was the, the New York times and the Atlantic. These are my two, like go-to on the daily and the guardian, the New York times, the Atlantic and the guardian, <clears throat> uh, the, sorry, the, the New York, I mean, the Washington yeah. post better and and the Globe and, and what Mail. else do you need? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Globe and Mail. Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, Jacobin. And the, like one of the headlines said Omicron, all you need to know. And like the other, I'm, I'm butchering this, but, and the other one said like Omicron, we don't know anything. 
I was like, oh God, like, <laughs> I, it's not time for me to turn to this yet. But since then, a couple of more informative pieces have come out, you know, how to, how to make decisions among uncertainty. And there's a psychologist who was quoted in the New York Times recently, Kate Sweeney. I don't know if you've come across her work. She's a psychologist. And she studies what happens when people experience feelings of uncertainty. And this is something that comes up a lot in, in, in research on mothers because parents have to cope with immense uncertainty about the state of the future with respect to the world their children will inherit. And mm -hmm. so there's wonderful work um, by Anna Villa Lobos called Mother Load making it all better in insecure times. And she writes on how mothers in particular develop these sort of what she calls security strategies. And this isn't great, you know, for kids, like it, it reflects like an anxious, um, like parent trying desperately to grasp, to control an environment, to like um, cope with feelings of uncertainty. And in my work, it's more about uncertain climate futures, economic ones as well, but thinking about climate emergency and how to parent with that big heavy weight and how and how to kind of like mitigate those feelings and process those feelings so that we don't make irrational parenting decisions that are all about trying to control something um, that don't have an impact, you know, on, on climate emergency. Mm -hmm. um, so for me personally, this is like a constant question, like as an individual, and I, I try to uh, be mindful and like a bit metacognitive about like when I'm feeling uncertainty, when that kind of morphs into anxiety, and when my behavior changes as a result, and what I think I'm attempting to control. And I have like a whole critique, like a political critique about this, right? Like this is how we are conditioned. We we socialize um, women, especially, but like you know, people who become parents, mothers in particular to think that we can, through our individual actions, mitigate, you know, global problems. So mm -hmm. this is like, this is an analysis that I have. So that's, that's like my individual kind of like practice on the one hand, and it's messy. But on the other, as I come up for air and, um, you know, chat with more people and life does truly feel like there's some like return to a semblance of like social familiarity, I noticed that we've all come out of this um, last couple of years in different spaces with respect to our pandemic recovery from this mental health crisis. So I have friends that are on like the one side of things being like, the pandemic is a choice. It's not real. Like it's, you know, and then I've got like on the other side, people who still haven't seen other people in their houses. And so when I think about how long as a society, if we could be so general, we can cope with hope and despair and feelings of uncertainty, I have different concerns because mm -hmm. I worry about social fractures. Like this is, this is, this comes back to what we talked about in our very first conversation, uh, you know, how, how people will emerge on different sides of this thing, you know, whether we're all in this together or inequalities will be exacerbated. And we all saw how that, that panned out. So I wonder what, what could happen, um, I guess, socially as a, as a public copes differently with, um, uncertainty. I, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, again, I mean, a vaccine equity has been uh, obviously a huge issue domestically to some extent, but certainly internationally and, and poor vaccine equity has produced, um, you know, an exacerbated global inequalities, uh, in, in, and again, up the risk of variance, by the way, and both strategically mm -hmm. stupid and, and immoral, 
Uh, and so I've been thinking about that a lot. And that, but then I looped back around to think about my own experience a little bit because, you know, I, I wondered at the outset how I would end up. <laughs> I was like, okay, well. I think you know. we all did. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I got, yeah, I, yeah. I've had people say to me, like, you know, we sort of, like, we didn't know what's going on with you. And I was just inside playing video games. I was like, you know. Okay, we'll circle back to video games. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and reading books, you know, and, and obviously working very hard. But I got my, I think I've talked about this before, I got my first shot. Two weeks later, I had my first, you know, patio visit since the pandemic had started. Three weeks after that, I think, you know, it was, I think it was 21 days, exactly 22 days, I got my second shot. And then two weeks after that, I was just like, I was back out there. <laughs> and I, I took, you know, I was on trains. I was on I thought you were going to be like, I was on Bumble. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I went and downloaded all the dating apps. Um, Sorry, trains, trains, infrastructure, Trains and buses and seeing friends in person when they were comfortable, inside, outside, depending. And, uh, and so finally I got on a plane because I was, you know, going somewhere for the, for the Thanksgiving sort of fall break. And I was feeling fine. I had felt fine about things. I was double vaccinated. I was keeping my distance where I could. I was wearing my mask when appropriate. I was doing all the things we're told to do. And I actually felt perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the plane and I'm walking down the aisle and I hear a woman very loudly say to her travel partner, you know, this is the Boeing 737 that uh, kept crashing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like everybody's sort of like, come on, man, what are you doing? And so at this moment, and, and so I, I keep going, I sit down and, and I, you know, it was the max, um, uh, and I sit down and for part of me was like, you know what? It's really nice to worry about something else for once. <laughs> yes. And then of course I had to correct, you know, of course these plans, they don't, they don't, they're not allowed back in the air. I'm, I'm assuming in, until they're very safe. You know, like if a plane is unsafe and it's, it's out there by the time it makes it back into the air, it's gotta be very, very safe. That's why I like to think. I suspect that's true. But I had this one thing like, well, I bounced back. All of my anxieties are just my old ones. <laughs> The pandemic anxiety is fine. And then, yeah. then Omicron arrived and I sort of had this moment of thinking like, I wouldn't take an international trip right now. I'm not, it's not going to affect too much of my domestic plans until we're told there's something specific to worry about. But I wouldn't take a, 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 a foreign trip right now, for instance. Mm, right. Um, even though I don't, for instance, I don't support travel bans. Uh, I'm very publicly opposed to them. But, you know, I myself now have like, oh, some of those old limits sort of creep back into my head. And I draw mm-hmm. some temporary borders uh, yes. because, you know, we're learning things, right? I mean, Slowly. we're learning things. <laughs> yes, we are. I, I had this feeling this weekend. Like, so I, I have been back at work and like, I've even found myself getting like pretty impatient and irritable about masks, which is like super snobby of me because I have not been wearing them day in and day out, like frontline workers or anything like that. I yeah. just like have to lecture in them and it's uncomfortable. And my kid broke down the other day in tears and said like, you think it's easy to wear a mask every day? And I, it broke my heart a little oh, bit. You know, like kids God. are having a hard time. Yeah. They're doing so well, but like, yeah, he just, in, we were crossing in the middle of the crosswalk. He just, I thought he was being a little grumpy. And then he just, he said, and the way he phrased it that way, was just like so painful to hear from a little guy. Like, you think this is easy? I thought, oh gosh, you feel so, you, yeah, you feel these big feelings. Um, but like mask aside, like I've been doing the same thing, wear them where I need to, whatever. But so on the, on the weekend, um, I was at a holiday party and 
holiday parties are kind of a funny thing this year, especially like like work ones. Some workplaces are are not doing it. Some workplaces are really feeling the need to do it. You know, there are people who have been onboarded in the last two years who have never met anybody. Yeah. Uh, so like, there's you know, there's like value in in like ritual too, right? Like in getting together. So I was at my partner's work party, and it was at a restaurant, which is great because there's a vaccine mandate in BC at restaurants. So I could go there feeling like, okay, well, everyone here is going to be double vaccinated, and um, we'll take our masks off when we're eating and whatnot. And I was so um, excited just to party. So like the last time, mm-hmm. which I don't even like parties. Like this is this is a thing about me. Like I don't like parties. I like intimate dinner party. I think we've covered this on both other episodes. So I surprised myself being like, I'm excited. I, I, I small talk tuckers me out so much and always like makes me want to go home at like eight o'clock. So I actually prepared with a few prompts. Um, so that when I was like, <laughs> I had like a little list of questions that I could yeah. ask people sure. about themselves. And so I did, like, I made the rounds of the room being like, you know, if you, if you had to name this paint color for Benjamin Moore, what would it be? If you had to change your first name to something like, what would oh, it be? Oh, these are and not like, these are, these are quirky prompts. These are not like how, how, how what was your last trip? No, no, no. I can't, I cannot like... handle that shit. I can't handle that. I can't. So I, yeah, these, this was like, this is like, you know. If you were a cloud, what kind of cloud game. would you be? Yeah. Exactly. And these are a bunch of lawyers, so we had fun. Um, I don't know if you detected the sarcasm, but some of them were very um, interesting um, in there, demanding to know the context of the questions. But anyway, then I got home and like was reading a little bit more about um, this new variant and seeing seeing travel advisories. And like, you know, I saw this thing in The New York Times. It was like, here's a way to help you assess your own risk with respect to your holiday travel plans. And I had this flashback to feeling like, um, all of the moments when I got an exposure notice in the last year and a half, when I had to panic about what I had done or who I had seen, because mm-hmm. I just thought like, oh my goodness, this weekend I was like unmasked and I saw dozens of people. Like, I just, totally. I felt so exposed. I was like, oh no, like, are we back there? I can't, it felt shocking because the season, I didn't really think about being back there. I really did feel like okay, this is something we're going to learn to live with and I've done all I can. And, you know, and my son just got vaccinated too. So I've only got one unvaccinated kiddo in the house. Um, yes. So I feel and, weird. So, this is what I mean. So, I mean, when I, you know, the, the title of this episode is is a play on the name of your book, you know, Are We Coming Undone During the Pandemic? And part of the reason is, you know, you feel to a certain extent like you're getting jerked around a little bit, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, we have to adapt, obviously, obviously to, to new realities, to new variants. And uh, we see old policies come back, some of which were effective, some of which were not effective. The travel ban is a good example of a policy that experts sort of say, this doesn't work and it's too late anyway. It's political theater. Um, and, and testing, which seems to be a little more reasonable to me, right? So now we're seeing, but it's, you know, it's deja vu all over again. And you get that feeling that you're getting jerked around. And I think for some people, I mean, I was reading about this in, in The Guardian today, um, it's, it takes a real mental health toll because people are like, I thought we were done with this. I was, you know, it felt like we had finally beaten this thing or at least controlled it, like you said. And now I'm back to where I started or risk losing everything and I can't handle another lockdown or so on and so forth. Like I think to myself, I had no problem with lockdowns for the first 18 months because I was like not going anywhere. I was inside Mm -hmm. anyway. A lockdown now, I think, I would Mm. take much harder because I'd be like, God, you know, I was out, I was doing it, I was back. I was going to coffee shots and getting bullshit holiday drinks that I like. 
mm-hmm. and drinking all of the holiday, you know, and then it's like have that taken away seems like particularly cruel. I feel like people would not be compliant. Like I, I'm yeah, curious right. to know what's yeah. happening in places where this is starting to happen. Um, you know, what's going on in Europe with vaccine mandates and that kind of thing. Um, but this this brings me back to this psychologist, um, Kate Sweeney, who studies uncertainty. And she she talks about, well, first of all, I'll say like, it's not only that we're being like jerked around by headlines, you know, and like the kind of evolution of the pandemic. But we've also, for those of us who have had to go experience the return to work from working remotely, we were told by our organizations what we were and were not allowed to be afraid of basically, right? Like, so it was like at this, like, or, or like from public health, like at this moment that the most important thing is that we stay home because pu- the public health messages have to be very simple and to the point. Mm-hmm. And so we were trained to fear other people. We were trained for a long time to fear other people and feel talk, fear talking to other people. And then the universities announced that we were going to be back face to face and public health told universities that, that they had to follow through with that in BC. And we were told like, you must be face to face and you must do talking. And, and it was like, okay, so that's, I have to retrain myself now. So I feel like it's not only like we have to respond, but we are actively being coached to yeah, feel right. certain ways about certain risks and then to like undo that. And um, so this this psychologist, Sweeney, who studies uncertainty, talks about like getting in the flow and experiencing like the sense of time that that is, is basically a distraction. She calls this exquisite distraction. And she says, which is interesting with respect to our respective ways of coping. Um, that it's this like, is about video games? Yeah. <laughs> How did you know? She says. I just know. But like. Well, the, the the funny thing is, she says like doing something meaningful to get in the zone, and then pivots to like giving video games as an example, and and not like passive relaxation. So she's like, it's not listening to music or or watching a movie, um, but this kind of like, but activities that blend like needing to work at something and pleasure, like playfulness, uh, help us get into the flow and like provide this exquisite distraction that helps like helps things um, melt away. So for me, I'm that's so been happy yoga. to hear that. Um, but you can, you do you with the video games. I bought a PlayStation five. I, I set myself a little goal. Uh, they're extraordinarily difficult to get right now for supply chain reasons. And I wasn't going to pay the, the scalper price, which is effectively double the sticker price there. You know, there's like retail for, for roughly $700, and a lot of these are going for $1,200, $1,300, $1,400. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna pay that. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna adopt a strategy. And by the way, anyone out there who's looking for one, here's what I did. I went onto a website that, that provides stock alerts via a social media app channel. I signed up for it, and then I was just extremely on my phone. And now the key to this is to adopt a sort of, of non-thinking, intuitive uh, response to when you see that ping. When you see that ping, you don't do anything but click until the thing is yours. Anyway, that's what I did. I didn't even think about it. 30 seconds after the thing had popped in my face, I had the thing ordered. And it was there two days later. And uh, so now I've got this PlayStation 5 and now I'm just into it. But one of the things I do is play a lot of of video games, uh, particularly Call of Duty right now. I play with my friends. I I affect our mutual friends. My former friends. (laughs) And yeah, they don't, yeah, exactly. We're nobody's friend now. We belong to the game. But it it really truly is what you're talking about because for one, you enter what, you know, 
Chich Mahaley and others in psychology call a flow state, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we're talking about. It's, it's a flow state. But, but as you were mentioning, there's a bit of challenge to it, mm-hmm. which gives it so that what you were saying is, is gives a little bit of meaning. And it's, it, you progress, right? There are levels. So you get this sort of at least illusion of progress. This is going to bring us uh, all back to Karl Marx, I'm afraid. But go on. As it should. Why, 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 you know, why shouldn't we all get to do this all the time, or at least a chunk of the time, you know? Well, I, and, I'm thinking uh, like, oh, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, so that we can enjoy our leisure time and, and not be conditioned by this sort of guilt that, that comes with being a, a tool of labor or a tool of, of, of capital, um, you know, a mere instrument of labor, right? And, but, it, but it produces a real sense of, I'm, I'm actually slightly embarrassed that I've gotten quite good. It's one, you know, it's one of those things that the better you get, the guilter you get for being good at it, right? Like, oh, I, don't. I can hardly believe this because I feel like usually I, video game Dave is like crush the enemy Dave. Like, I can hardly believe that there's guilt involved, but I'll have to take your word for it. For for listeners, I mean, we we played a lot of Mario Kart at one point, and 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 you'll recall that we did a circuit where we played every single race. And I think it's 48 races or something like that we played in one day. Anyways, I won by one single point. And I ever just feel like, feel like I'd never accomplished anything like this before. So this, this actually pl- goes to this like psychologist, like sort of tips to achieve flow. It's like- Remind me her name, sorry. Um, it's Sweeney. Sweeney, okay. Yeah, uh, she, she says that like uh, the activity, like a flow activity needs to be something that um, you have to make sure you're being challenged at the right level. So yeah. like it can't be too easy or you won't be distracted enough. You also have to receive feedback. So the way, the fact that you like play with friends or like play, you know, play with folks online, um, is like instant feedback mm-hmm. and there should be like the ability to increase the challenge. Like you should see the ladder to climb, which actually reminds me so much of what I teach my students about Marx's work on alienation, like how like we all need a kind of like ladder to climb to like derive meaning in our lives. And so how alienating work is also work without an ability to like see um, opportunities for advancement. Oh, I, I misunderstood her. So she's a scholar of, of flow states. Yeah, she's a, she's a professor of psychology who studies uncertainty and, and part of her work is respect with, yeah. Oh, I missed that earlier when I, I okay, when I, I, I missed that, I missed that cue earlier. So exactly, yeah, exactly what I was thinking of. Well, the, I, I'm adding her to my list. That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's also a means of, I mean, to come back around to this, like, are we coming undone? I mean, part of, of keeping it together has been being in touch with people one way or the other, right? And, and having community, which is so essential to, to surviving and, and certainly to thriving. And one of the things uh, that I've noted is that, you know, for me, one of those outlets was gaming because I don't typically play by myself. If I'm gaming, I'm usually with friends and, and chatting with them, right? Because we sort of connect. Um, we have very stylish and cool headsets that, uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, make us look irresistible for one, uh, like total consummate irresistible adults like we are. Uh, but I've spent in some ways more time with my friends during the pandemic than at any other point in my entire life. You know, it's just been by virtual and so we'll do zoom meetings and so on, or zoom hangs or whatever we did. We did video games mostly, and I had one friend of mine say, "Like, why can't men just call each other?" And and I do think there's a hugely gendered element to it, but it's true that the fact is, like, you know, a lot of it is this, this is we, you know, we don't call each other in my group, but we will sit there and play video games for three hours and chat. I'm so embarrassed to tell you 
I'm, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to tell you. I think I'm embarrassed to admit it to myself. And um, everyone's listening. Ugh. <laughs> um, my version of this lately. So, so like in, like I'm, I'm therapy, like trying to control the things I can control and something that has like really uh, changed for me over the course of the pandemic has been my relationship to work and you know, like teach on capitalist culture. So I've always um, advanced the critique that, you know, our dreams of success are not our own. We've internalized these from the culture and they involve productivity. They like, you know, very narrow versions of success that are actually like harmful to community and, you know, making kin. And, and yet, um, you know, secretly my visions of success have to do with uh, capitalist ones, like academic ones. It's very easy for me to get sucked into kind of like the ivory tower and um, what a successful uh, person and, and mother and worker is in this, context that was a lot of what, what my that was a lot of what my book um examined but so in I, I have like made some um progress there and and like started to slow down and um I, I have some fear about what that could mean for the future but for now I have no choice I feel sort of like that's where my mental state is at I'm going to live in the here and now I'm going to try to be authentic with folks and see how it goes. And, and, and so, and I also in so doing have wanted to crawl out of burnout with, um, like getting back to, uh, exercise. And I, I've always exercised a lot. Like I'm very, like, um, I'm a very energetic person and, um, exercise helps me channel my energy so much. And I, and I just, I actually am someone who experiences like joy during the exercise. So, but like during the pandemic, it was really up and down. And there were long stretches of no movement and that kind of builds on the flatness, right? Like I didn't exercise because I was too flat to move. And then, um, it, you know, that sort of exacerbated, um, that, that feeling of depression and kind of languishing. So with my, like in, in conversation with psychologist, I see, I was like, like, how can I, you know, kind of like envision a world in which like exercise does not become this thing that like I have to do because I have to be a productive citizen and I must self-discipline and I must self-improve, but also recognize that like movement is medicine and I would, I'm in recovery from pandemic burnout. Like how, how can I kind of um, walk this middle ground. And so I have decided to like, just draw a picture of my week. What would the ideal week look like? And I'm going to forgive myself when it doesn't work out that way, but I'm going to really try to stick to that. And in, um, that map, I thought like, you know, that involves four days of significant exercise and movement of some kind every day. So I started meeting my cousins on Monday night for, uh, rides on a bike that rhymes with Lelamon? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so I see. <laughs> I was just waiting because I because I know what the bike is. I'm just thinking like there's nothing that rhymes with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, one of my cousins actually hasn't been able to make it because oh man, her partner got COVID last week. It's just like oh, it no. really speaks to the fact that we're still in a pandemic because yeah. we're trying to meet virtually and give virtual high fives. I'm trying to liken this back to video games. Like this is how. I have been doing the thing that you're doing. Like I see people in this in this capacity, and and it feels really fun. Like it, we can see like our scores relative to each other, and we can like reach out and like click on the high five button, and and also have endorphins. You know, like mm -hmm. the kind of rush that happens, or that I assume happens based on the sounds I've heard men make while playing video games. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're wearing those headsets, we all have our own headsets. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There's your next article. 
<laughs> so you have, so there is a six, I was going to ask, you've adopted strategies for managing as we all, as we all have. Are there any you've abandoned? I mean, you know, especially as we look at the next round of whatever this may be and the winter, which may coincide with the, you know, other challenges, including the flu, by the way, also remind people that uh, it's, it's never a bad idea to go get your flu shot. Uh, you can get them pretty much everywhere, quick and easy, in and out. Yeah, I'm certainly glad I got mine. Um, are there any tactics or strategies or practices that you've abandoned? Anything that hasn't been working? I did leave alcoholism behind, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, like there were times, like I, I, I drank, my, my alcohol consumption went up pretty dramatically yeah, sure. uh, in the pandemic. Um, and I knew what was happening at the time. I didn't have a ton of denial around it. I saw it and I was like, this isn't good for me. This could also become habitual because this is a substance, but I don't feel equipped to not do this right now. Like it just, it felt like something that I was like, you know, concerned about, but also not ready to leave behind. And uh, as I've sort of like come out of what I would call like, I don't even know, if I, if I hit rock bottom, like, I think burnout started like in August, 2020 for me, that's when I, I hit like a physical, um, like rock bottom, um, like went to the hospital and, you know, thought I was very ill and then it kind of continued to the following summer. So that was this past summer. And I think since then, and since being things have reopened, um, I would like, I express that as like sort of my recovery time that has been like, I just have, have left, um, alcohol for the social, you know, it just doesn't feel, um, necessary or, or, or healthy. And, um, I don't, even, I don't want to like have any degree of judgment or shame for substance use. It's like so complicated, but just for, for me personally, I, I was able to kind of like witness that behavior as something that, um, was, was getting in the way of me meeting health goals, you know, and like living the life I want to live and, and being fully present. And so, um, that's something that is on the radar is something I've abandoned. And, and uh, we, of course, when, when we saw one another in Vancouver, eating a giant platter of, of Donkatsa helps <laughs> too. <laughs> I mean, I get like, I will tell you too, like I had cocktails on the weekend at, at this Christmas party and I had a blast, like it was awesome. So I, yeah, it's not that like, uh, um, I, I think drinking alcohol can be really fun. Uh, it can be like a really important sure. social lubricant, especially for those among us who absolutely loathe small talk. I had a cocktail and was like, all right, yeah. what's your favorite color, everybody? Let's rename your pet, whatever. Um, and there's like a great article. I'll send it to you. I'm forgetting where it, where it was published. Maybe the New Yorker um, about the kind of like human use of alcohol over time and and how like innovation and creativity has come from um, using alcohol in these social situations. But the, the, the scary part about pandemic substance increase was that it was drinking alone and yes. that has zero benefit. It just has zero benefit. Um, whereas like social drinking can have like, um, humankind benefit because some people will like have an electric chemistry and have a good idea together, you know, like things can come from, um, you know, having that kind of, uh, social lubricant. So contrary to what it might seem, I don't, I don't actually drink a ton. Um, I, I do enjoy drinking, but I actually don't drink a lot. 
but one of the things I was doing during the pandemic, well, a couple of things I enjoyed doing is one is finding weird beers. And so I'm always on the hunt for the next weird beer. And uh, especially like dark and heavy beers. And now is the season for it. So it's quite nice. Mm-hmm. You Christmas beers and so on. But also um, I'd make a cocktail and watch a movie. And that, there was mm-hmm. something about that that became a bit of a ritual. And it was a really mm-hmm. nice de-stressor. I'd make a Manhattan and go watch Casablanca. You know, it's like, that's a good night. You know, old fashioned in the big sleep. Well, I think we didn't have we didn't have ritual. Like I feel no, like we didn't. partly that was my cocktail hour as well. It was like, okay, it's cocktail hour. Like I got through the day and it was hard. And and so that like now I'm going to go through the ritual of of uh getting my partner to pour me a drink because I didn't do it myself. But it was the same thing. Like now this is marking sure. the end of the day because our scenery isn't changing, our mood isn't particularly changing, but um like it certainly served that function for me as well. Totally, and I want to close out on this because we're we're approaching time, and I have uh, <clears throat> a very important appointment to get to in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, you know, I wonder how important. I mean, rituals, of course, are, are always important, but I wonder how important they're going to be now as we face down year three of this. You know, year three of this is going to start very soon, uh, and and and. And, and what do you th- what do you think will be framing year three? Like, what are the rituals do you think that we can that we can reclaim to to, to help us get through year three? Uh, I'm thinking right now of the holidays. I mean, uh, not everyone likes the holidays. The holidays are extraordinarily difficult for some people. Uh, not everybody celebrates them. But for those who do, I mean, I find that for me, just you know, November first, I was I had to restrain myself from putting up my decorations because I have a ritual for decorating, mm-hmm. and I waited a little while, but you know, eventually went out with someone, bought a bunch of stuff, mulled some wine, had a charcuterie board, played a Christmas list. It was a joint Christmas list, so and you can cute. tell who did so what. So cute! You can tell who did which part of the list because halfway through the list, it's like all Dean Martin. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And Jose Feliciano is like, oh, I see where it's like it's like in archaeology, you could go through the layers of sediment. It's like, oh, I see. <laughs> here are the here are the Phoenicians, you know. Uh, and I, I'm somewhere slightly older than the Phoenicians. It's like a Dean Martin, mm-hmm. but um, slightly older, yes. But but the ritual for me of the holidays and all of the trappings uh, bring a, a wild amount of comfort. And uh, what's what is it? What are you looking for in in you know twenty twenty two in year three of this ritualistically to help to help manage it? I'm, I also feel like it's about the holiday rituals. That, that those ones felt kind of the most devastating in terms of the losses. And I can't you know we're in the we're in the season, um, but like I, I celebrated Thanksgiving uh, with family the way we, we have a big family here and mm-hmm. we were all around and. Um, I had tears at the front of my eyes the whole night, you know, many of us did. So it really did. um, So I I think what will separate uh, folks in the year ahead is whether or not your traditions involve travel. I really like when I hear like people describing like, are these holidays going to be just like last year? Those people are the ones who have to travel to go home for Christmas, like typically have to get on a plane and maybe it's international travel. Um, But, but I I don't think that public health officers would have much luck barring us from ritual anymore. Now that we've come out of that, like um, year of deprivation. Uh, And, and I think like, just like the little rituals that, um, 
that we, we started to develop in the household, you know, the way I'd like chat with my partner, like the way time slowed down. I'm, I'm in my mind thinking about like COVID temporalities as something that will help us envision how we want to experience time in the future, a little mm-hmm. bit outside of like capitalist culture temporalities. So yes, we'll still have these like, uh, like very human demarcations with ritual, but might we also have a different experience of the weeks in between? Well, I, I think that brings us to a very natural, appropriate, uh, excellent place to, to call it a, a chat. This was fantastic. This was so lovely. It was so lovely. It's making me miss you. It I wish was we had indeed. holidays in the same town. Well, we were in the same town for Thanksgiving, but someone was busy, and that was someone who was me. <laughs> that was an awesome trip. <laughs> it was very nice. I'm sorry that uh, that not all of our listeners could be there with us. Uh, but so, as always, my thanks to you, uh, friend, scholar, author, mother, daughter, revolutionary. Reluctant Gamer Amanda Watson. Thank you so much. Public intellectual, social media, humorist. Yep. 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 Friend. That's Ontarian, yep. Ottawaan. Yep. <laughs> Dr. David. Nailed Monstrop. it. Uh, and of course, my <laughs> thanks uh, to Carolyn Smith and Aaron Reynolds to make the show not just possible but far better than it would be without them. And, and to everyone listening, uh, thanks to you, and happy holidays to you, and happy New Year's to you. Special note, we are on break uh, until January 18th as I try to get my Call of Duty numbers up a little bit. We'll be back in the new year to talk about all kinds of things, including nuclear energy, disability rights, big data and the state, and more. And we will see you back here then. <laughs>